Hey, Parker. Hey, Carrie. How you doing? I'm doing very well. And it's December, uh, the season of giving, and we have a gift for everyone today. A real gift. A conversation with Ross Gay, the great poet and essayist. So welcome to The Growing Edge. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer. To the words and habit to us and how we live between the words. Well, welcome to the Growing Edge podcast, Ross. It is so wonderful to have you join us today. I've been looking so forward to this, this conversation. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Glad to be with you. And ditto for me, Ross. Uh, both Carrie and I have read The Book of Delights and the new one, Beholding, and we just uh, really had some wonderful conversations around those. And we want our, our listeners to share in that as well. I'm going to start out with a question that has to do with uh, your love of wordplay, which mm. both Carrie and I share. Um, Carrie as a songwriter of, I think, just real genius with words, and I muddle oh. along writing prose uh, <laughs> and the occasional, you know, eighth grade poem. But um, <laughs> your, your wordplay really took me some places so that in, at some point in the Book of Delights, you, I got a hint that maybe, you know, D-light could be delight or it could be turn out the lights or something, you know, you could delight uh -huh. the the scene, which seems to be uh -huh. popular these days. And then uh -huh. the book of beholding, um, uh -huh. I just love the resonance of beholding each other, beholding the world, beholding your own life. Yeah. Just go, go be that. Um, so I got to thinking about my own upbringing in suburban Chicago in a Methodist church. And I learned there that God said, let there be light. But nobody ever said that God said, let there be delight. Uh, and it took me three deep dives into clinical depression, a kind of death in life, to figure out how important delight was to living my life fully and well. So I'm interested to know how much of what you now know and write about delight came from seeds planted in your childhood, maybe even mm. from a church? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think absolutely there's ways that even my curiosity about, I mean, the question, I mean, the more, the older I get, the more I think, oh, you know, I can see my folks in thing after thing after thing after thing. I mean, which feels really crucial. It feels really crucial. Um, but I do feel like Maybe more to what you just said, crucial, is that in some way, the Delight Project, which I learned a little bit, maybe toward the end of it or, or after writing it, I realized that, oh, partly I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book of delights because I deeply need practice at studying uh -huh. what delights me. I deeply need practice and want to practice and attend to what I love because because I, it does not necessarily come easy to me, you know? And um, so when you, when you talked about depression, you know, I feel like in some way this, 
this delight project is, um, you know, I had a therapist who was like, yeah, you don't, you kind of have a fundamental, you know, I don't know if you said fundamental, but you, you have, you have a hard time trusting. <laughs> 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 the book of delight is a study in trust, you know, yeah, among other things, it it's a study in trust. And I thought, oh, that, and I just cracked up laughing. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> to write, you know, I had to write that's, that's the point at which you say, why should I trust you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I, I've been so taken, you know, we mentioned the two books, but, but also your, your catalog of mm-hmm. unabashed gratitudes, you know, that's mm-hmm. also just another beautiful book of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the way that you, you hold this, um, the both and, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in your works, they're, you know, you don't kind of blink the hard stuff, which is is very astute, and you have the very sensitive antenna of a poet. You know, mm-hmm. um, but then uh, it's this interesting balance of of these delights, daily delights, small delights, the practice of delight. I mean, what was it like for you to? Sometimes I head into a project, and I don't actually know I'm heading into a project yet. You know, mm-hmm. but it sounded like I'm going to do this. This, you know, how did that kind of come about, and what was that like? I mean, really, the project came about. I was, I was ha- having a delightful afternoon, plainly, and I felt like, oh, I should write a little essay about this um, delightful afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. It was a delightful walk. It was like there were sunflowers and there were honeybees <laughs> and there were <laughs> wildflowers, yeah. and it was nice. <laughs> And then I immediately thought, um, it was immediate. It was like a, a bird or one of those bees flew in my ear and said, do it every day for a year. Try that. Hmm. Um, and it was like that. And I decided, all right, well, I, I'm going to. And it happened to be kind of close to my birthday. So I thought, all right, I'll do it on my birthday and just do it for a year. And there were some, you know, there was some kind of hesitation at first, or I don't know if that's the word, trepidation, because I was... I don't write every single day. It's not my practice. Um, so I was a little bit like a lot of people say to me, like, oh, was it hard to find something delightful every single day? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, I, but I was nervous that it would be. That was one of my first worries. And then when I realized when I was studying delight, that was my task for the year. After about two weeks, it was like, oh, I'm often delighted. I'm often in, in moments of delight that I'm not accounting yeah. for. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not attending to my delight. So, you know, and then you start to be like, oh, this is a fun job. <laughs> you know? Yeah? yeah? I got to write about something I love today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, I think people, I mean, I don't want to sidetrack into writing too far, but you're a writer par excellence for me. Um, you stimulate my own writing in some amazing ways. In fact, just this morning, but maybe we can talk about that another time. Um, but I think a lot of people think of writing uh, as a process of downloading to the paper some ideas that are already fully formed in your head. And that you're just, you know, writing is typing. <laughs> it's all up here and then you just type it out. Yeah. And of course, that's a really um, 
mistaken way of understanding what good writing is because it's a process of self-discovery. You you mm-hmm. you figure out what you're thinking and feeling and how to hold it going forward. It surely sounds like that's what it is for you. Oh, that's a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, like I I often think I realized in the process of writing these essays, you know, like I had written essays before, but I had never written, a, you know, over the course of a year, I wrote almost, you know, I probably wrote in the ballpark of 300 attempts, little almost essays, and some of them were full essays. Yeah. Um, and when I started to re- get enough of them to see what was interesting and what was not interesting to me, the ones where I was wondering, well, why is this delightful to me, were interesting. The ones where I was going to tell myself why something was delightful were not, was not interesting. Um, so, you know, like when a kid, you know, when a kid high fives me in the coffee shop, I'm like, huh, why is that so delightful? <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. And also to that, um, to that point, I'm, I'm working on some stuff now and I'm, I'm writing about specific instances in my family life, in my, you know, growing up life. And my feeling, and I, I'm just so excited about writing um, this, and my feeling is like, I wonder what's going to happen. I'm writing about mm-hmm. what's happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So it's, oh, it's I kind of like, I, I wonder what I'm going to learn about this. You know? yes. Like, I don't know. I don't actually know. And a lot of times um, that idea of, of writing into what you're intuiting, you know, that mm-hmm. looking back, at the Book of Delights, you have a sense yeah. of, oh, I, I was heading there. I was exploring that. That was opening up. And it became interesting when I asked why. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a, a, sometimes I do a songwriting workshops sometimes, and I, one of the exercises I have people do is, is write one line uh, in, in detail, in description, um, of something that caught their attention. Mm-hmm. During the last twenty four hours, and mm-hmm. every day they come back and they and in the beginning it's like a little exercise, but pretty quickly it becomes oh there's there's another one, and oh there's another one and you know and to have a class you know read around it starts to sound like this beautiful litany of mm-hmm. these random moments of delight or sometimes sadness or sometimes um you know, bewilderment and all the stuff that happens in the course of the day. But um, as I was reading your book, I kind of had a sense of that. Oh, there's another one. Oh, oh, what is he going to encounter next? <laughs> yeah, know. totally. And, I, and, and as I think of it, I think of like the, there are often these little parentheticals and I'll say delight in the middle of something, you know, like yeah, yeah. delight this record, you know, the De La Soul record, delight the blah, 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 you know, yeah. and it is kind of that what you're saying. Like once you start, once you start attending to something, mm-hmm. it grows, you know, it absolutely does. And, you know, in my perverse brain, it, it occurs to me that you could really monetize this in a fungible culture. <laughs> Doing a series of delight ads for major corporations. Pepsi, Pepsi, it's a delight. <laughs> Buick, they're a delight. You know, I don't even know if they make them anymore. <laughs> but, and laughter is such a delight, right? And I kind of feel like today. I wonder what you feel about this, Ross. I think today, when we've when we've had four, I, I think of it as five years under a cloud of gloom, doom, snark, and sneers, 
Um, for a lot of people, delight has been hard to come by. And the, the absence of delight is really depressing. And it seems to me that it's a classic tool of a lot of would-be authoritarian leaders to depress people so badly that it takes them out of the action. They, they lose the wit and the will to participate. So it's almost like, for me, the way I think of it, just thought of it this morning when I was looking forward to talking with you, is it's the world is full of delights all the time. That signal is always coming out, no matter what the conditions. But the receptors tune down and up depending on circumstances. And so it's almost a revolutionary act or an act of resistance to choose delight and tune your receptor up. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, and like, um, um, you know, the poet Toy Derricotta has this beautiful quote, joy is an act of resistance. Yeah. Um, and mm. um, and I, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, attending to, and also like the thing, like I kind of, I say it, notice, articulate, and share what you love. You know, notice, articulate, and share what you love, you know? And maybe, maybe you're sharing it with yourself, but, but also this thing of like, um, I absolutely agree 100% that it is, you know, it, is, it can be incredibly difficult to, you know, for any of us who have had been in sort of like whatever kind of crisis to attend to our delight, it feels like, no, this is delightless. Like we are in a moment of delightlessness. And, and what a gift it is to have someone be like, but, you know, there is a, <laughs> there's a burn on your shoulder right now too. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. There's that, there's that too, you know, or like the leaves did come out yesterday. Yeah. There's yeah. that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or when the leaves in our backyard fell off of this brilliant orange triflora maple, I think it's called. I don't know. I have to memorize these things because I don't have the vocabulary. <laughs> but, but my wife does, so she tells me. So they, <laughs> they fell off, the, and the sun was shining on them at, at early in the morning. And I looked at that bare tree, and I thought, that's gorgeous, the way the sun is mm. bouncing off that bark right now. And it mm. reminded me of Shakespeare's bare ruined choirs, you know, the, mm, the sonnet mm. seventy three, and I thought, wow, I can live with this all winter now, even though yeah. the, or, the orange yeah. leaves are gone. Right, right. And yeah. it's interesting. Well, gardening and trees show up a lot. Uh, there's that beautiful poem about the fig tree, where you all end up feeding each other figs at the end. But yeah. I mean, and so many, there's several, you know, so many um, places where you, the natural world or, or gardening or, or the or trees or something just, there it is. It was there all the time, but there it is just for you. Yeah, but, yeah. But you noticed, but, but you, you noticed and then you shared it. And I love that, that progression you, you just, you just mentioned. Yeah. And so often the noticing is because, or, you know, mostly actually, um, the noticing is because someone helped you notice it, mm. you know, and that's to me, like one of the things about this book is like, you know, this delight book is that so much of it is really a study of interdependence or entanglement. Like so often the things mm. that delight, I notice myself being delighted. It's like, oh, wow, I love it. How 
people carry the heavy laundry bag together, one handle of his. Or, yeah. you know, I love it how all these people are like, you know, just losing it over this baby running down the aisle of the airplane. Like, it's not their kid, but they are, <laughs> they are losing it. <laughs> like all of this sort of, all of this sort of reaching and sort of in a way showing our, um, uh, you know, really like our capacity to care for one another. You exactly, know? exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like delight as connective tissue rather than just yeah. a private pleasure. Yeah. Love that yeah. very much. I I want to go back to nature, to the garden, where Carrie had us a moment ago, and you have us in so much of your writing. So I, I have no problem being delighted with big nature, the boundary waters yeah. of northern Minnesota or the high desert of New Mexico. But it's been a long time for me coming that little nature is full of delights, um, like that tree outside my window, which it took me like 81 years to, to notice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, because yeah. you know, when you're my age, you, you either start picking up the million delights that have surrounded you all your life, or you just start to wither, it seems right. to me. Yeah, things right. get very grim. Right. So talk to us a bit about about being in the garden or being in the, the, or the pocket park in a city or wh wherever it is mm. that rolls your socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we garden here um, where I live, my partner Stephanie and I. And, and um, you know, right now we're kind of like, you know, making a new bed and, and got a bunch of goat manure um, <laughs> dropped off and, you know, and we're like working on it and, you know, I mean, talk about like the practice of paying close attention. I feel like often uh, there's two things, at least, I mean, there's two million things, but there's two things about gardening that I often think about in terms of like writing and stuff. And one is that it just begs you to get close, like a garden and, you know, there's smells, like there are smells that there are more smells than we can, you know, and I think of exactly what you're saying about 81 years and like, and there are 10 million smells, you know, <laughs> probably in the neighborhood that you still get to have, you know, and like, and so, you know, in, in the, all of the, all of the senses, how things taste, how things move in the wind, you know, different things differently, how, you know, all of the different sort of life comes to each other and sort of circulates around each other. Um, I mean, it's just like on and on how, how beautiful we have this kind of, um, uh, it's called Mountain Mint, and it does something. My friend um, to kind of theorized at some point, like, oh, maybe it's almost medicinal because so many pollinators come to this. Um, and it is such an incredible swirling of, you know, friends, you know. Um, yeah. And then on the, and another thing that I think of is like when you're in a garden, like right now, like, you know, we just cut down the okra, and inside all of those okra pods are all these seeds. Yeah. And you know, I don't know how many seeds, okra seeds are in a pod. Maybe it might be 30, it might be 50. And each of those is, in, literally in, inside of each of those is another plant, which will have, you know, if it produces the idea of the metaphor, like this little thing, this little seed that is smaller than a marble, inside of that actually, in fact, is okra for years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. That, you know, that's, that's like, when I think of like learning metaphor, I'm like, well, that's one of the places that I've been studying metaphor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Parker was saying, you know, he kind of started with 
macro beauty, you know, kind of yeah. on the large scale. But I, I've always kind of been so attracted to the small beauty. Mm-hmm. Maybe growing up in a little factory town, you had to look mm-hmm. small sometimes. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, I have more pictures um, of, like, like, pieces of bark than I do of like birthday parties and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, my daughter is like, do you have any pictures of me? From it's like, but here's like four of moss and different times of the year. And like how here's this like leaf. And um, I found this incredible um, huge sycamore leaf. But, and if you look closely, you know, that uh, the fractal of, of, of a leaf was echoed and it's also echoed in the tree, echoed in the leaves, Mm. echoed Mm. in the, in the roots, but on the leaf itself, there were all these, if you look closely, trees look like forests of trees and just the way the Mm. leaves were set up. And so they were all reflections of one another. And I just stood there for a long time and yeah, I have more, I have more pictures of, of, acorns than probably birthdays so yeah um, so i get it yeah. <laughs> and i'm so uh, yeah it's, it's one of the yeah. things i just uh so appreciate when i'm reading your work and I'm, I'm well and that's one of the things too like when you when you look that closely at anything you know that and this has sort of just occurred to me sort of recently when you look that closely at anything like i'm really uh you know dandelions i'm all i'm like all about dandelions and, you know, I've been sort of looking at them a little bit more closely in the last couple of years. You know, I've always been like really a big fan of the dandelion, but just while looking at their whole kind of, their whole, you know, process and whatever. And you realize, oh, I've never looked closely at anything. I've never, mm-hmm. like, there's so much to look closely, you know, to be with closely. It's just like, um, what, a, what a kind of gift. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I remember 20 years ago getting fascinated with this powers of 10 thing that is on the web in various places where if you exercise the powers of 10 to go out, 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 just 10, 10 times, you know, quantum leaps or I, I'm not a mathematician, so I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's a, it's a multiplier, a geometric multiplier. It takes only 10 of those steps to get to the farthest reaches of outer space. Mm. I mean, beyond which we don't know, you know, whether we're on the back of a turtle or what. Uh Uh If you go down the powers of 10, within 10 steps, you get to the smallest subcellular structure of (laughs) life. And... And that, you know, the fractal, Carrie's fractal mention remind, r- reminded me of that because there's all this replication going up and going down, you know, going big and going tiny, which is, of course, an image of infinity. Um, and it th- makes me think of Blake. You can see, in, what is it, the universe in a grain of sand and, and yeah, what in an yeah, hour, yeah. I can't remember, a minute or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that yeah, yeah. is. <laughs> so, so infinity that's something you've maybe written about or thought about. And... Yeah, well done, yeah. <laughs> it's called the old subtle segue. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do. And I actually, I have a, um, so all of these essays, um, again, the, the, the Book of Delights, I wrote, you know, essays more or less every day for a year. And it's 102 essays in this book and I date them. And this one is dated December 21st. It's the, the shortest day of the year called Infinity. 
Though the title of this delight is both abstract and over the top, it is, in my opinion, warranted. Given as it is the first day of winter, which is also the shortest day of the year, and so represents to me a kind of deepening, a kind of engagement with an interior, out of which we will emerge to return to again, to emerge again, ad infinitum. One day we won't emerge, by which I don't mean me, I mean we. And so in some way, the equinox celebrations, often an acknowledgement of the precarity of the whole thing, are an appeal to the gods that they might grant us another spring, which is a profound generosity on their parts every time they do. But I'm also referring to this already darkening day to chart the almost impossibly lovely infinity scarf, lavender, knitted or crocheted, sorry to whom I'm offended with that stitch of ignorance, <laughs> by my friend Danny. It appears to be made of two shades of yarn, one darker, one lighter, though it may be that these colors are different aspects of the same color yarn. I suppose part of this delight derives from my unfamiliarity with the process by which this beautiful and beloved scarf is made. And so it is a praising of the mysterious and tender touchings we are so often in the midst of. I'm also delighted in this accoutrement fluffing around my neck because it represents a different relationship to an idea of masculinity I have inherited and for much of my life watered, which makes it a garden, a garden of rocks, a garden of sorrow and hypertension and prostate woe. Some of the tenor here might be influenced by the sun's brevity today, but just a little. For I kid you not, 10 years ago, I no sooner would have worn this plush purple thing around my neck than jump off a bridge. I mean, not quite, but you get me. Tied into this weird and imprecise moratorium on the pretty were surely current, strong ones of misogyny and probably homophobia. It's true, I often wore my long hair in cornrows with beads, but that sartorial aspect represented some other intersection that did not scare me in the way this very cuddly scarf would have. Hmm. I sometimes wonder how this happened, if there were very specific moments in my life the older boys holding my hands and painting my nails, my mother regularly praising that she had sons instead of daughters, my father accidentally making me cry by squeezing my leg too hard after a joke and asking with disgust, are you kidding? That constituted a minor tilting of an axis, but no tilting of an axis is minor, as you know. Hmm. However, the dumb and sad moratorium on the pretty arrived, the lavender infinity scarf Danny made with her hands and that I am wearing as I write this represents one small gesture of many in the moratorium on the moratorium. The mm. scarf is a soft and endless exteriorization of a shifting interior. I want to be softer, I'm trying to say. Mm, 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 uh. mm. That's beautiful. Just beautiful. It's stunning. Yes, I, that's such a wonderful, wonderful piece. Thank you for reading that, Ross. You're welcome. It's, it's just, um, it just takes me on a, on a terrific trip. And, you know, I, I thought, among many other things, about that, what you said about tilted slightly. Um, mm -hmm. If at birth and in your early years, you're, you're only one or two degrees off, true north. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 30 years later, you're 100 miles from right. the trajectory you want to right. be on and right. you have to find your way back. Yeah. So it, yeah. That, that tilting I think happens to 
all of us in one way or another, and yeah. some, some people more perhaps vulnerable to it than others. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It's, that's such a powerful reminder of what we can reclaim in our lives by making that 100-mile walk back to mm-hmm. <laughs> true north. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Thank right. you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that final line, I want to be softer, hmm. I'm trying to say. And and that's such a, a wonderfully vulnerable um, way to bring this entire um, essay around. Um, I, I read somewhere a quote from you. It said um, that you believed in things that were visible and not, and that you believed in structural tenderness for one another. And... Hmm. And I think I know what that means. I, I, I see it in the work, this, this structure of tenderness. And could you, like, could, you, could you talk a little bit about that phrase? Yeah, I mean, I, even, I just think of the, the ways that we, you know, there's uh, structural racism and there's structural, you know, um, patriarchy. There's a sort of structural. Yeah. And I think of, you know, I'm very interested in um, and curious about the ex- existing structures of tenderness. Mm-hmm. And I'm also very interested in sort of studying and illuminating and deepening my practices or participating in those structures of tenderness. So, you know, it's in the in same, same way, like, you know, that, that we know that we uh, make each other's lives possible. We know that. Yeah. Um, and we know that it's care, you know, tenderness, care, softness, all of those things that express a kind of willingness to be, um, willingness and celebration of our interdependence. Um, it's sort of like, I'm interested in, in uh, I'm interested in attending to that or mm-hmm. asking about that, um, which is there and which I want to know more yeah. about. <laughs> which I want yeah. to know more about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That makes sense? It does. It makes total sense. And thank you. Like I said, when I, when yeah. I read that line, um, yeah, just the way you put it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think of culture yeah. itself as a structure, even though it's vaporous and thin and, and seems airy, but it actually contains and constrains us. And the, the irony is that the, the culture of a country or an institution is actually a projection of our own fears and hopes and mm-hmm. the, the muddy in the middle. Um, we create it, and then it imprisons us. <laughs> but the good news is there is that we can tear it down and recreate it, um, yeah, or evolve yeah, it, yeah. morph it into yeah. something better and new. So I want to ask a question that is <laughs> I've asked Carrie before, because her work, like your work, always blows me away because of the kinds of connections between utterly what I see as utterly unconnected things <laughs> that both of you are making, you know, Carrie in her songs and you in your poetry and prose and, and prose poems. Um, and I'm, I'm asking this question partly as we move toward the new book, Beholding, as we come regrettably to the end of our time with you. Uh, for those who haven't had a chance to look at it yet, I'm just going to read a part of the cover blurb. In this book, Beholding, Beholding, two different words, Ross Gay connects Dr. J's, that's a basketball player, folks, 
Dr. J's famously impossible move from the 1980 NBA Finals, which I looked at on YouTube the other day. Whoa, that was a yeah. mind blower. Yeah. He connects that to pick up basketball and the flying Igbo, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, or Igbo, and the middle passage to photography and surveillance and state violence to music and personal histories of flight and familial love. Uh, after reading that sentence, a person doesn't say, okay then, I've always wanted to see find out about that. <laughs> This is this is not like an operating manual for Soviet heavy machinery. <laughs> so, so what I want to know is this it's a dumb question, but they are often most fruitful for me because I've asked Carrie this. She sends me lyrics and I see a jump from one line to the next and inwardly I say, wait, what? <laughs> How did you get there? And then I hear her sing it yeah. and it all makes sense. You know, it comes together. So what goes on in you, for you, with you? Where is it in your life that you pick up this ability to connect the dots, which is an important thing for all of us to learn in one way or another, but to connect dots that, I, as far as I know, there's no other book that connects those dots, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder if, I mean, I definitely can, can point to, like, um, other writers. You know, one of my dear friends and, and teachers, Gerald Stern, has a kind of associative mode or mm -hmm. so it can kind of leap and leap and leap and you're suddenly like where how do we get here or you know very recently uh, um i was um talking to a friend of mine who told me that he his dad had him listen to coltrane's my favorite thing um i mean his dad played it every morning and i asked was it the was it the um the studio version or was it the live or different versions? And he said, no, it's always the studio version. And I was like, you've never heard? And he's been, and I thought, oh, and you know, I've studied John Coltrane um, deeply. And I was like, oh, that's another person who shows us how to make these long digressive connections and, mm -hmm. and hold a kind of theme together or maybe really expand the idea of even what a theme is. Um, I can think of, of a lot of other other artists who for sure, um, artists and writers and stuff who for sure I've sort of like learned from. Um, it's a practice, you know, it's a practice. I'm like, you know, I'm interested in how unlike things are similar. Yeah. I'm just really interested in how unlike things are similar. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, I'm, you know, I love simile. <laughs> I love, like a really good simile or or a really good metaphor to me is like the thing yeah. and so i feel it's like delightful. I, it's delightful it's delightful it's delightful yeah you know yeah. when you see when you sort of have someone show you that this thing in this way is kind of is actually like this other thing that you you did not know and yeah, exactly. maybe it was like you know maybe it was you know, it, it was they're alike in ways that you could never could have imagined them being alike. But in, then you kind of think, oh, well, maybe they are. Yeah. Maybe and then, are. And then when you get there, and this is, I just want to say one more word about how important I think this is, not just for writers, but for everybody. Yeah. When you get to that point of making those, starting to make those connections, learning how to make those connections, then to do a product placement thing that I really, really mean, <laughs> then, you, then you be holding all of that dis mm -hmm. apparent disparity together, the, which I right. think is part right. of the stream of this book. 
And right now in this society, we are suffering from an impoverished imagination, an American imagination which does not know much about connecting apparently disparate things, which always wants to other somebody and something, to other them as a verb, which is afraid of the richness of diversity rather than um, understanding that these connections between things that aren't disparate because they're human um, can enrich our lives and not threaten our our uh, you know what were really our sacred cows that have have never haven't worked well for two hundred and forty years and aren't aren't working well right now. So um, I think that I'm in, I'm very interested in what Alexis de Tocqueville called habits of the heart that you need to be a citizen in a democracy, and I think that a, a habit of the heart I'd like to add to my list is is education in how to connect disparate things and appreciate the connections rather than always having to set things apart with a false sense of now I'm safe. Uh Because the Uh connections are happening. This is a live organic reality. And whatever I may think about it doesn't really matter because Uh I'm part of the deal. And my only question is, am I going to be there for better or for worse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yes. I love the nonlinearness. It gets from here to there, and uh-huh. actually, but it's more of a circle. Uh-huh. But isn't life like that? You know, it's like it's uh-huh. not like you set out. Most of us, it's A to B instead of A to B to C to D. We cut. You go A to B to eleven to Q <laughs> to, to, to dandelion to yeah, the dandelion <laughs> to pie you know it's just you know it's just yes. you know can and, we rest for a moment with pie <laughs> yeah but it's just there's something very comforting about you know that that process of, of disparate things coming together and the cycles of things coming around coming around to beholding you know the all uh, in beholding, I have to say, uh, I, I love this, so many things about it, but this, of seeing, being seen, the importance of that, you know, that's that's one of the many beholdings in, in, mm-hmm. in the book, and how important that is, seeing and being seen, making the connection, making those disparate connections. Yeah. So thank you for writing it. <laughs> yeah. Saying that. yeah. Amen. Thank you for writing all of this. I want to, I know, uh, regrettably, we have to land this pretty soon but actually we won't land it because we're in flight and we'll keep flying for quite a while to talk come the you know the flight of delight that you've taken us on truly thank you so much for that but i want to come back carrie i'm sure will want to land it in her own way too but i want to go back to something you said early in this time together that really has really stayed with me as all of this will and, and that was, you make a lot of bodily references in your work, and you mentioned that you every now and then you look at yourself or your maybe your behavior or your body and you say, that's my father or something of that uh-huh. sort. You know, that's, that's one of my ancestors. Uh-huh. I had that experience just this morning in the, in the shower. <laughs> and I looked at my hand and... I don't remember quite why. Maybe I banged it on the on the shower head or something. And I and I saw in the bright light of the 
bathroom, all these um, brown spots that one has at age 81, my dermatologist calls them wisdom spots, which I th- is very sweet. Uh, that, uh, we love I, her. I, I always tip him. <laughs> I always tip him when he says <laughs> Few people tip their dermatologist, but I do. So uh, I, I thought, that's my dad's hand. I, I remember it vividly. That is my father's hand. And that then brought back my father to me, a man I loved, a man who was, who made space in the world for everybody, including his kids. And um, I'd love to hear you talk about paying attention to our bodies in that just very simple, um, I'll, I'm, I'll make skin deep into an affirmative. <laughs> <laughs> Skin deep way, you know. <laughs> I feel um, so. You know, the, the thing with this book that I kind of learned from writing the Book of the Lights is that my subject, you know, my subject is my deepest inquiry is about is joy. I'm just curious about joy. Yeah. And when I think of joy, the the feeling or the experience of joy that I have is the sort of feeling of sinking into again, to use this word entanglement or to use the word like um, the, the, common, the common understanding of the fact that our bodies are only here temporarily, you know, that they're passing and that we're going to die. And, you know, and it's our bodies. Um, it's our bodies. And, and that to me feels like, and joy to me feels like the sort of the ways that we might hold each other in the midst of that, with that, through mm-hmm. that, you know, uh-huh. um, Another word for that might be gratitude. Another word for that might be love. Um, and it, but it does, it, it's, it's a bodily awareness. So when you talk about seeing your dad, and I have the same exact feeling all the time, I think, you know, or, you know, my, my mouth, but like, there's my Nana, or, you know, and my, my dad through my, you know, my, through my Nana, or, or my, my dad's hands. These are my dad's hands exactly. And, and I also think, you know, of, um, I'm actually writing about my dad right now and, um, um, and trying to recount these stories and talking about like, you know, I'm so excited to find out what really happened, you know, what, what happened, you know, and, and partly I was thinking, you know, I'm writing about sort of, you know, we had a complicated, you know, challenging relationship and he's been dead for 15 years now. And I think if he could, if he could say, he'd say, yes, we did, you know, um, and in a deeply deeply loving like there's a tether between us that is just profound and it was but it was difficult and I think in some way my my thinking a lot a lot about him and wanting to sort of understand him deeply in his death you know is some way it feels like some way again like to come back to that softening it feels like some way of like like I see, when I see my father's hands in my hands and I start to figure out how I'm gonna like deeply love this person who's gone, I also feel like there's some sense of, of, of loving myself, you know, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, all the words like forgiveness of myself also involves forgiveness of my father or, you know, right. love of myself is love of my father, et cetera. And all of people and everyone and everyone in my life. Yeah. You know, yeah. perfect. I mean, 
my last word on that subject will simply be that this has helped me understand more deeply why it is that at age 81, at exactly the same point in my 81st year as my dad died in his 81st year, Mm. I'm thinking in a new way uh, and deeper way about those Mm. wisdom spots on the back of my hands. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I I too need to find out what happened. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, generally our our final question, because this is, the growing edge, you know, but I think you've kind of already dove into it. What's on the growing edge for Ross Gay? Um, so I, I think you started into it, but there may be other things too. This is grow. <laughs> and when you say the growing edge, is that sort of an open question, or is it kind of like, what are you working on? Or you know, wide open. We, it's wide, wide open. open. Yeah, you know, again to reference therapy again today. I'm just trying to. <laughs> I'm just trying to like crack open some of this, you know, profound habitual hiding um, that, that I, that I do um, toward the effort of a kind of deep vulnerability and care for, for whoever is in my orbit. Yeah. Including, including myself. <laughs> including myself. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. That's where it starts. Exactly. Well, this conversation uh, will amazing. will actually go up uh, on December first, and uh, when in some traditions people start to think of of giving, um, and this has been such a gift. This conversation, the the thoughts behind it, you know, your your willingness to be here and so open with us, and and delightful, mm-hmm. and yeah. and real and true, and I just. It's been such a gift today to us, and I know to everyone listening. So thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. I, I double down on those words. Um, it's just, uh, I did this in the midst of a busy day and a kind of hard week, and I feel lifted. I feel yeah. inspired. I am so glad for your work and all the guidance that it provides, and I just feel deeply that we be holding each other in all this, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't. I yeah. can't do the Doctor J thing, but I can do my own parts of it. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> you, right. yeah. Thank you, Ross. Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah, it's really fun to talk to you. All. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. sure you'd like to learn more about Ross Gay. If you visit our website, The Growing Edge, you're going to find more information about this wonderful man, as well as links to his books and where you can find them. You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out the next episode. And don't forget to visit that website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and to bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. 
and wild appreciation to Allison Quance for creative envisioning, direction, and production. And because, oh my gosh, is she delightful.